You are listening to the Practice Growth Podcast with Sean Terrell. Welcome to the Practice Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Terrell, and really excited to try something different on this week's episode. Two guests. So a warm welcome to Kara Sennard and Nick Cooper, both are member attorneys at Whitfield and Eddy in Des Moines, Iowa, and both have a great deal of experience and expertise working in the dental industry. Kara and Nick, great to have you on the Practice Growth Podcast. Welcome. Thanks, Sean. It's great to be here. Thanks, Sean, for having us. So the place I always like to start in every episode is just with some context for the audience. And and let's start with Kara. Could you share a little bit about your background and sort of how you reached the current point of your career? Sure. I grew up in Iowa on a farm. I am an Iowa University of Iowa graduate, undergrad, and a Drake Law School graduate. I started with my current firm, Whitfield and Eddie, in 2001 as a law clerk during law school and graduated in 2002. So I started at that point as an associate attorney, um, focusing on tax, probate, and estate planning. I quickly transitioned into business and banking uh, transactional work, including corporate entity formation and mergers and acquisitions. Nick, how about you? A similar path to Kara. Um, Iowa kid, uh, grew up in in Des Moines, Altoona, Iowa. Um, Went to undergraduate school school at the University of Iowa with a a degree in finance. Immediately after that, I went to law school at Drake. Um, Was fortunate enough to get a a clerkship, uh, which is the equivalent of an internship with Whitfield and Eddy Law Firm. uh, in 2002, I graduated law school in 2004, got a job offer from Whitfield Netty and have been there ever since. Uh, early in my career as an associate attorney, I did litigation, courtroom things. Um, over time, I, I transitioned to uh, a, a transactional practice uh, focusing on uh, businesses, banking, and uh, representing dentists. Very good. Very good. So some similar paths from both of you in terms of schooling and kind of the, the career track to become uh, members with Whitfield and Eddie. Speaking of your firm, uh, I'll leave Nick on the line for this one, too, if it's OK. Could you give a little background on Whitfield and Eddie as a firm? And I understand uh, the, fo- the good folks at uh, the home office would also like you to read a disclosure when you uh, are done with that part of the background on Whitfield and Eddie. Well, first, a little bit about our firm. Um, Whitfield and Eddie is is a large firm for Iowa standards. Um, we have uh, more than forty five lawyers in our office. Uh, our primary location is in downtown Des Moines. And what does a large firm mean? Uh, it means that uh, we have the ability to specialize. Uh, we have we are a full service law firm, um, and unlike perhaps smaller firms where attorneys are perhaps more generalists, we have uh, a group of lawyers that specialize in areas um, that allow um, us to to be a full service firm, to be able to help individuals uh, in all aspects of their legal service needs. Um, So Kara and I, have our subspecialties with regard to representing dentists and helping dentists 
but uh, we have others in our firm should other legal issues ever come up that can also help them. And as Sean mentioned, uh, there's uh, being that we are lawyers, uh, it is best that we do give a disclaimer today before we get too far down the road. So if I could just get that out of the way, Karen and I are licensed to practice in the state of Iowa. Um, The statements today are just for informational purposes only. Uh, Every fact pattern case and scenario is different. So no statement today is legal advice and no statement today is intended to be a solicitation. Uh, So uh, I appreciate you allowing us to just get that out of the way, Sean. Sure, absolutely. I understand uh, it's got to be done. And you hit on something that maybe I'd like to circle back to Kara about, which was kind of this idea or the maybe the advantage, if you'll allow me, of kind of having some subspecialties within a bigger law firm. And Kara, if, if you wouldn't mind, could you touch on the advantages of, of you and Nick both having some dental uh, specific expertise in terms of law, but then also being surrounded by other specialists uh, within your firm that can be leveraged or called upon if necessary? With our expertise, in working with dentists, we have seen a lot of the different challenges that dentists have as they either start their careers or as they're transitioning out of their practices. Um, so we have that background and can, you know, tailor our services to, in order to help the dentists the best way that we can. Um, However, there are a lot of things that come up that you know, we are not able to handle because it's not our, our subspecialty. Um, for instance, employment matters. But we have attorneys in our firm that are really good with those issues. And we can then you know, consult with those attorneys. We can have our clients talk to those attorneys directly and get the legal advice that they need. If you have maybe a smaller firm, um, that may not be the case where you, you know, there may not be someone with that specialty or someone that um, practices in a lot of different areas but doesn't specialize and maybe hasn't seen some of the issues that we have. Uh, you know, just some, some unique challenges that, that we see for dentists. And, and I say unique challenges, but really they aren't unique to dentists, they're really more professionals is a lot of dentists come out knowing how to treat patients, but they don't know how to deal with HR matters or employment, you know, other employment matters, how to look at contracts and read them, how to enter into leases and what needs to be done there. You know, they might be buying land and and wanting to construct a building on that land. There's just a lot of things that they didn't know going to dental school that they were going to have to be, you know, to be faced with. And we have the people in our firm that uh, have those expertise in those areas and and can help them through that process. Absolutely. I think that would be a real advantage to kind of be covered from as many areas as you possibly can be. And you bring up a good point in that, yeah, there's just takes a lot of work just to learn how to practice dentistry that there sometimes isn't. you know, you kind of get a crash course or dentists can sometimes get a crash course on some of the other areas of, of business and finance and, and law as well. So it's it's really important, as I think you guys know, to have other good people on your team, attorneys, CPAs, uh, financial advisors, perhaps that can kind of help in some of those 
other areas. Uh, before we get into some of the nitty gritty uh, areas that uh, and a dentist might leverage or might rely on the expertise of a dental specific attorney, I want to maybe start a little bit more at the beginning and go back to you, Nick. And if you would share kind of what led you to start spending at least part of your practice focused on working with dentists. Like so much, uh, particularly, I think, unique to Iowa, it, it, it was relationship-based. Um, for, for lack of a better analogy, I was a baby lawyer, um, and, and one of my um, high school friends was uh, at the same point in their professional career starting out as a dentist. Um, and so I helped him form his business. Uh, in fact, Kara, Kara was a mentor to me. In that in that process, uh, as were some of my senior senior partners or senior members, um, I did good work for him. Um, and like so much of uh, of how we do work, it was a relationship based, and and he passed my name on to others, and it grew organically from there. Um, you start you start with one, and uh, you you do good work, and the best marketing and the best um, way for us to get new clients is through our existing clients. And, and that's really what it was. It was nothing more than it started with one and then another one. And it, it's grown from there. Um, it's something that I think both Kara and I enjoy doing. It's, it's, uh, it's an industry that, of, that we enjoy working with. Um, and it's something over the years that we have continued to refine our our uh, expertise, and now now it's developed into a true niche spe- niche specialty. It's interesting because I think I had a similar path to working with dentists myself, and maybe just to follow up on that, Nick, I'm interested in kind of that progression for you. If you could elaborate a little bit further, just in that. You know, the first dentist that I ever worked with, I spent an enormous amount of time and energy behind the scenes, just sort of researching as much as I could, educating myself. I didn't want to have any blind spots myself that I didn't pass along to the dentist. And then what I've found, you know, as more time passes and you work with more and more dentists that have similar situations, similar stories, it just becomes more efficient uh, in that you can kind of do that work a lot faster as time passes. Has it been a, a similar experience for you? And could you elaborate on that a little bit if so? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think we are more efficient. Um, over the years we've, while every, every transaction has its own unique aspect and, and it's often hard, often hard to predict what those challenges will be. We have we have done a lot of these, uh, represented a lot of dentists, handled a lot of different transactions for dentists. So I do believe that we have become more efficient. Um, but with that said, I mean back to to an earlier point about the benefit of a big firm. Um, I absolutely uh, worked incredibly hard on that first uh, first relationship, uh, a relationship I still have to this day. Um, but with that said, I had I had people above me to mentor me to help me. Um, so uh, while I was in fact a baby lawyer, I, I, I had the uh, the the muscle behind me, for lack lack of a better analogy, to to make sure I was doing it right and and representing that first uh, client um, correctly and competently. 
let's circle back to to Kara and maybe get into a little bit more of the nuts and the bolts, if you will, uh, of how or when a dentist might leverage uh, the expertise, the advice, the counsel of a, of a really good attorney with some experience in the dental industry. Uh, Kara, could you maybe just at a high level list or give a few of the examples of when you are most often called upon to uh, represent and counsel a dentist? You know, we, we really get all stages. Um, I would say most often we are involved on the front end or the back end of a dentist's career. So that may be a brand new dentist coming out of dental school who is going to be an associate at another dental, uh, dental office and is being asked to either sign a, an associate agreement or an employment agreement and would like us to review that. Or vice versa, we might be involved with that dentist's office um, asking us to prepare a, an associate agreement for this new dentist coming in. Um, so we're often involved at that stage. We also do a lot of asset purchase agreements. Um, so it might be a new dentist coming out of dental school looking to purchase another practice, or it could be an, a dentist who is existing um, and wants to expand and buying another practice uh, or wanting to move and selling their practice. So there, those are really kind of the, the main areas that we get involved in. Dentists coming into the practice and dentists leaving the practice, I would say. At a very high level, and yeah, and maybe we can get into the, the details a little bit deeper. So, uh, if it's okay to circle back to Nick, let's start with the associate agreement. What are some of the nuts and the bolts of that associate agreement, Nick? That either if you're representing the person, the dentist that's signing on to be the new associate with the practice, or if you're representing uh, a dentist that already owns their practice and wants to hire an employee as an associate dentist. What are some of the key components of that agreement that you guys are examining and negotiating over? Sure. So an associate agreement um, uh, for, for dentists gen generally include things that um, perhaps uh, a, a newly minted uh, dentist may not appreciate uh, the importance of, but we can attest to uh, the challenges they can present down the road for that dentist, whether it's the person hiring them or it's the, the, the person starting uh, the, as an associate. That, that would include things like uh, non-compete. Um, you know, what's the scope of that non-compete? What's the duration? What does that, what does that really mean? Is it enforceable? Um, Buy-ins. Uh, is it contemplated? Um, does the does the associate understand how it will work? What are the certainties of it? What are the uncertainties of the buy-in? Um, liabilities, um, pay percentages of production. What's that tied to? I mean, those are some. I mean, some things that we generally see in an associate agreements that perhaps aren't always clearly understood um, or can down the road creates issues or litigation um, because they weren't properly addressed on the front end. Of those ones you mentioned, 
to, to maybe not go too deep, they go to just a shade deeper or just on the associate agreement. Is there one area that tends to rear its ugly head in terms of dispute the most? Uh, I, I, it's hard to say whether there's one. The two that my initial reaction to that question is the, the buy-in provision. Um, is it clearly stated such that there isn't disagreement or loopholes um, at a later date for one side or the other? And then obviously a non-compete should the two parties decide to go their separate ways. Um, both can be very expensive on the back end uh, to be um, litigated or should a dispute arise. So addressing those on the front end while um, there's an expense associated with that generally is, is more cost efficient and better because the parties are on good terms to address than on the back end. Let's swing back over to Kara. And I think one of the other situations you mentioned, Kara, was an asset purchase agreement where a dentist is either buying uh, another practice or buying into a practice. Uh, what are some of the provisions or characteristics or, or key areas that you're examining and negotiating and, and counseling there? One of the things that I would say right off the top, is, and you alluded to this earlier, is that it's really important to have for dentists to realize that having an attorney, an accountant, and a financial advisor involved early on in the process is really important. Um, what we often see is that a letter of intent gets signed, and then they come to us to have an asset purchase agreement put together. And there are some key terms that are missing from that letter of intent. And while letters of intent generally aren't binding, it's a lot harder to add terms that weren't contemplated at the time of the letter of intent into the asset purchase agreement than if they were already part of that letter of intent. Um, not that everything has to be ironed out perfectly at the letter of intent stage, but that is a really important factor that I think um, if, if more dentists would have an attorney involved at that stage, the asset purchase agreement would go a lot smoother. So that's kind of one of a big point that I wanted to make. But with regard to then the asset purchase agreement and what are some of the terms that we might see in that letter of intent? So purchase price, obviously. Um, what are the terms of payment? Is it going to be contingent on financing? What assets are being acquired? Are there any assets that are, are going to be excluded? One big one that I see over and over is that a dentist will take their own personal artwork into the office and they don't, they want to keep that. They don't want that to be part of the asset purchase, just to use an example. Um, allocation of the purchase price. We often work with the accountants to help determine that. Um, transition. Is the seller staying on as a dentist for a period of time? Or is the seller going to be available for any questions that the buyer may have for a period of time? Um, how are accounts receivables going to be handled? Um, retreatments. What if the selling dentist 
there was some issue with a treatment that was done by the selling dentist and the, the buying dentist is now, you know, being faced with retreating that patient. How is that going to be handled? Mm-hmm. And then uh-huh. Nick alluded to this earlier with regard to the associate agreements, and that's the non-compete. Is there going to be a non-compete provision as part of the asset purchase? So I want to follow up with uh, the letter of intent because you said some interesting things there. What are what are the things that are tend that tend to be missing? And kind of as a as a second add on to that follow up, is it usually missing? Is it the buyer that's usually unknowingly signing on with things missing that need to be there most of the time, or is that too hard to characterize it one way or the other? I would say it's probably the buyer that is more affected by the letter of intent. Um, sellers having a broad kind of in terms on the letter of intent is, is more favorable to the seller. You know, look, this is what we agreed to with this letter of intent. Now I'm, I'm going to try and hold you to it. And the buyer didn't know um, maybe whether what to negotiate as part of that letter of intent. One, a couple of the issues that I see missing a lot is what's going to happen with employees and the retreatment issue. I mm-hmm. think those are the two big things that I, I see missing a lot in those letters of intent. Something went wrong done by the previous dentist. He's no longer owning the practice or practicing at all, perhaps. Who's going to make it right and who's responsible for covering that cost, more or less? That, that is correct. Um, one of you know one of the other things that's really important at the asset purchase level, and and this is why it's important to have an attorney involved, obviously at the asset purchase, is Iowa has something called successor liability, and even though you're buying the assets, a buyer can be on the hook for the seller's employment taxes. Or other taxes. So it's really important that an attorney be involved in drafting the proper language in that asset purchase agreement to make sure that the buyer is protected from that successor liability. So maybe we swing this back to Nick. Uh, I know we could perhaps reverse some of the things we just talked about on the buy side a little bit, but I just want to make sure I don't miss anything uh, in terms of a of a representing a seller in that transaction. Is there anything that we've missed, or what? Uh, other provisions are important to to think about on on that side of the table? Um, I think that other agreements, contractual agreements uh, for both seller and buyer um, is is something else that that is an important consideration. Um, Are are there leases? Are there equipment leases? Are the leases assignable? Um, um, Also, I think the due diligence uh, is something that Perhaps it can be overlooked, as Kara uh, suggested. Uh, what what's happening with the employees, and has the due dil- has the has the due diligence occurred as part of the asset purchase agreement process or the per- the purchase process? Um, have you do you have an understanding of of the employees' history um, and and scenarios where? If the uh, dentist perhaps is staying on for a period of time, challenges that can come up as a result of that. Um, you know, you can have long-term employees that you have decided to hire as a new owner of this practice, um, but that can present its own challenges because 
the prior dentist never did it that way, or the, the new dentist is doing things differently. Um, so I think that those are, are factors that we perhaps see uh, are overlooked or not always considered. And then also, I think the, the real estate aspects are sometimes not appreciated. Um, and I haven't done a good job of asking that question yet. So please uh, lead on with how real estate can fit into the equation with the, the purchase or the sale as well. Yep, for sure. So, you know, in, in some scenarios, there's a lease. So it, you're acquiring the assets and the assets don't include real estate, uh, but there's a lease. And so can the lease be assigned or is the acquiring dentist going to be entering into a new lease? And that can present its own unique challenges. I mean, the, the selling dentist and the, the purchasing dentist can be, have everything squared away. Um, and then you can have, but then you can have a third party that throws a, a significant wrench into things in lease negotiations um, that can, can not be always anticipated and can be incredibly frustrating for, for both the seller and the buyer, right? Because the seller wants to get the deal done. The buyer wants to get it done. And then you have, you have this third-party landlord that's creating issues. Uh, conversely, the state of the real estate. Is the dentist going to create a separate entity, a real estate holding company that will then uh, lease the space to the, the practice? I mean, those are considerations that we, that we often talk about with, with dentists through the asset purchase process and considerations that, that need to be made. And we also have uh, real estate specialists making sure that the title is clean and, and things to consider with respect to if you are, in fact, acquiring the property um, to, to ensure that that due diligence is completed. Very good stuff. So some of my takeaways here as we start to kind of bring this to a close a little bit is just that there's so many things that, that can go wrong in these deals. And it could come from a lot of different angles. And kind of as a, a second part to that, it, I could see how it's really critical to have an attorney or attorneys on your team that has this dental industry expertise and experience that's been there and seen it and done it and, and knows what to look for. Uh, th that kind of leads to one of my final questions is disputes I could see would come up uh, somewhat periodically. What's your just, and maybe I'll throw it back to Kara for this one. And, and Nick, you can add on if you have anything else to add. Uh, what's your overarching philosophy on dispute resolution? So we take a lot of direction from our clients with regard to dispute resolution. Um, of course, clients can have, be very emotional about what's going on. Uh, it's a very emotional process, uh, whether it's the seller or the buyer, um, you know, a lot of selling dentists take a lot of pride in what they've built and protecting their business. Um, you know, it's a service industry. So they're, they're very protective of what's going on. And, and so they take a lot of pride in that. And so if, you know, if, if it's a seller issue that um, is causing the dispute, you know, that can get very emotional. And on the buyer's side, you know, they're looking at this as their their new livelihood. And again, that can be a very emotional process. So we take a lot of direction from our clients on, on the resolution. Um, 
but also taking into account, you know, where they're coming from and where the other side's coming from and really focusing on, is this something that can't, that we can come to some agreement on, or is this a dispute that both sides would be better off walking away from? We've had both of those outcomes. Unfortunately, we have had outcomes where um, clients have had to walk away from a situation. Um, you just sometimes you don't know what's going to pop up and what might seem to be minor to one party is a deal breaker for another party. And, and that does happen. Um, you know, we've seen kind of a, a, a myriad of things, you know, kind of taking it outside of the asset purchase realm. We've had uh, clients who were just buying you know, stock ownership interest in um, a dental office corporation. And if there's a couple of dentists already in there that you're relying on them both to retire in order to be able to buy that stock, and one wants to retire and the other one doesn't, um, you, you know, it's, it's those contingencies that can get a little hairy and that nobody really thought about. So, you know, we, we want to take the approach that we can get to a resolution, but there are situations where it, it doesn't happen. In terms of compensation, if you guys could just broadly lay out just how you're compensated for your time and your expertise and what that kind of looks like in terms of the initial engagement, if a dentist is interested in working with you guys. Karen and I are on, on this together because, uh, frankly, we work together a lot. Um, uh, Day on a daily basis, practically. Um, and we have developed this subspecialty, uh, by working together. And, uh, we do try to take a team approach, uh, on these issues. Uh, we put our heads together, work through issues. We generally have a primary point of contact. Uh, when we handle it, we generally bill by the hour. I think one of the challenges for for dentists and, and a lot of clients, and, and I absolutely understand it, is oftentimes we're asked um, to give an estimate on on what you know what what is this going to cost me, <laughs> and I, I understand that I can relate to that, um, but the the reality is we I mean for the reasons that we've laid out here to this evening is we we cannot always predict what is going to happen. And so that's why it's, uh, we can't give you an estimate because uh, of the uncertainty of the other side or the third party um, that, you know, things we anticipate. And oftentimes the, the dentists anticipate, well, this is going to be, this is going to be easy. We have it all worked out. <laughs> and then there's that unknown <laughs> that comes up. And so that, that's the challenge. And, and, and I sympathize with that, but that's, that's just the reality of it. Um, I do think that our our experience is, is it uh, allows us to be as efficient as possible. Um, but yeah, I mean that's generally how we do it. We bill on a monthly basis. Our we, we bill by the tenth of the hour. It's itemized to our uh, our clients on a monthly basis. Kara, anything that I haven't hit on that uh, you would like to add before we wrap up? 
I think you've hit on a lot of the major points. I would, I guess the only thing I w- other item I would say is we didn't talk a lot about actual company formation and some of the important documents there. Um, you know, even if you're buying into a, a company, it's always important to know what you're getting. So seeing what the, the governance documents look like, if it's a corporation, what do the bylaws say? If it's a limited liability company, what does the operating agreement say? And getting independent review of those. Oftentimes, attorneys will say, I represent the corporation or I represent the limited liability company. But that attorney doesn't represent the individual owners of those companies. And making sure that you know what it means to you. Um, We often see dentists. There'll be two dentists in a company and they want to be 50-50 owners. Um, Knowing what those documents say about a stalemate situation where those two dentists can't agree on how to move forward with the company. And then including buy-sell agreements into that to what happens on the death, disability, retirement, or some other event. And does the other dentist or one of the other dentists have an option to then buy um, that person's interest in the company. So just there's a lot of documents that can go along with dental practices and most of the legal documents, um, knowing what they mean to the individual individual dentists is very important. What's the first step for a dentist, Nick, to explore representation with you and Kara and Whitfield and Eddie? Reach out to either of us. Um, Our phone number is 515-288-6041. Or you're you're welcome to email uh, Kara or myself. It is just our last name. So Sinard, S-I-N-N-A-R-D, at WhitfieldLaw.com or Cooper at WhitfieldLaw.com. Very good. That's Nick Cooper and Kara Sinard of Whitfield and Eddie. Really enjoyed our conversation and hearing both your wisdom. And thanks for sharing your expertise and for being guests on the Practice Growth Podcast. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Sean. Sean Terrell is a registered representative, certified exit planner, and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. PAS is a direct, wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Carroll Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Carroll Financial, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Compliance tracking number 2021-116770, expiration date February 2023.